Welcome to the Cabin Culture Podcast, where we spend a little more time diving deeper into all the fun parts of cabin culture. We like to think of this as both the material and imagined expressions of how cabin lovers, dwellers, builders, and designers wish to live a more simple and authentic life. Before we dive into this week's episode, I do want to give a short podcast update. And as many of our longtime listeners know, this podcast originated almost exactly a year ago with Justin and Sean from The Chalet Frame and myself, Janice, from Cozy Rock Cabin. We kind of stepped into this podcast world knowing very little about it, other than we all like to listen to podcasts, and we felt like there was a clear hole in the podcast world for those of us who spend a lot of our free time thinking, designing, building cabins. That said, we had no idea how much time it was going to take, what the actual logistics of creating a podcast were, and as you can imagine, a year in, we know a lot more about that now than we did then. This year, back in April, we lost Justin of the podcast, as Sean and I talked about in one of our earlier episodes, and Sean and I divided the responsibilities for the last six months. And so now, here in October, Sean is also stepping away from the podcast. So in terms of how this is going to affect all of you, not a whole lot, other than you will miss Sean's incredibly witty titles to the podcast and lovely openings and descriptions. But he did most of the behind the scenes work. So while you heard my voice every week interviewing folks, and a lot of you might have talked to me, Sean was actually the one doing the very thankless job behind the scenes of editing every podcast, getting it up on time so that Wednesday morning it was there and ready to listen to. Whereas the YouTube versions usually come a couple days later. So I'm going to work really hard to get the podcast out on time. I appreciate your patience as I kind of get adjusted to the hosting and the editing side of it. The one thing I will note is that since I'm editing both, the YouTube versions will be up on time. And because I'm a video editor full time, I'm going to be putting a little bit more time into those YouTube versions and really gathering as many visuals and pictures as I can from the folks that we're talking to. So if you haven't checked out our YouTube channel, now would be a good time to check out the video version of the podcast over at YouTube. You will see the two of us talking for most of it, but where applicable and when we're talking about those visual things, I'm really going to put some work into dropping videos and photos in there as well. So thanks for your patience. Now on to this week's episode. On this episode, we're talking with Courtney and Patrick, owners and hosts at two very well-known properties, the main lake house and the main A-frame. Courtney and Patrick first started their journey on Airbnb almost by accident and now are killing it at all three of their properties in Bethel, Maine. They've experience in renovating down to the foundation, as well as building from the ground up and doing all the design work that comes with it. So on today's episodes, we're going to talk about all of it. I'll warn, we did not get through everything we wanted to cover, so stay tuned in upcoming weeks for part two with this incredible maniac duo. Thanks for joining us, and here we go. Hey guys, welcome to the podcast. Thank you. Thanks for having us. Where are you chatting from today? We are in our backyard uh, right outside Boston. Okay. Layla, don't start. It's my executive producer, but she doesn't seem to understand that this is an audio medium and that her barks are not appreciated. So we might have a cicada living uh, right above our heads right now. So that's our mascot. And this is our agent who might chime in at any moment. Who is how long? All smiles. So I'm really grateful to have him here. If you want to see an adorable child, then you need to watch this on YouTube. I just bumped our YouTube views up to 20 just by throwing in a little. Yeah. yeah. There we go. Thank you for that. Okay. So where you're talking to us from Massachusetts, but that is not where your cabins are. 
You are the only other main cabin owner that we've had on the podcast so far. So why don't we start with um, why Maine is the way life should be? Maine's awesome. Ryder agrees too. Maine has it all. Maine has it all. You want you want good ocean uh, life, you got it. You want good mountain life, you got it. You want good lake life, you got it. You know, everyone's a little bit more chill in Maine. Yeah, it's laid back. We we live in Boston and it's not laid back. It's a little hectic, a little go, go, yeah. go. And every time we go to Maine, which is like a lot, we just feel so peaceful and relaxed and happy. And we're like, oh, we forgot about all these things we had to deal with. And you're Life's like, just- this is the way life should be. Yeah, it really is. And every really time we amazing. leave, we're like, "Why don't we live here?" I, know. I mean, there's plenty of good cities, plenty of good food. We got everything you need. So, why don't you live there? I guess is a good follow-up. We talk about it. We talk about it all the time. I think we probably will at some point. Um, if we could move tomorrow, we probably would. But we're pretty invested uh, between work, school for the kids, family. You know, there's all the classic things holding us back, but uh, I think I think that Maine is going to win. You know, I don't think yeah. that we're going to stay away for too much longer. I know. I feel the same way. My friends here, in fact, a couple of them have looked at houses in our town, and I'm like, "Yes, come to Hillsboro," and they're like, "But Janice, how long really until you leave for really Maine?" Yeah. Right. They like don't trust that I'm actually here to maybe stay. I think the darkness is the hardest part for me. Is just the winter darkness, but well, I could get over that. When we move, we'll um, make you move also. Okay. Then, you know, then I'll have built-in friends up there. That's perfect. Yeah. You don't notice. If you're you're skiing until it gets dark, you don't even notice. I know. know? I know. And night skiing is my favorite. So that is a really, really compelling uh, argument, although it's cold. It's cold. It's cold. But, you know, it changes every year. So it's not always (laughs) too great. That's right. Can you start by introducing us? What was your introduction to cabin culture? Did it start with your first cabin or do your family, like, do you have histories of going to cabins when you were kids? I do. I definitely do. I grew up in Michigan, in Flint, Michigan. And when I, you know, was maybe a couple years old that we started camping and my mom grew up in Western Michigan or well, summered there. So my, my grandparents have a farm. They had like a hundred acre farm there. My uh, great uncle had an A-frame on Lake Michigan. Uh, my grandpa's parents, my great grandparents, lived there. I, there's just so many people that were there. So we spent a lot of time camping and going to our family's cabins, and then you know we upgraded from a tent to a pop-up camper, and you know did that campground life until I was like maybe eight, and then we finally decided. My parents finally decided to bite the bullet and got a little cabin. Mm. Was it an A-frame? Lake. No. No, okay. it was not an A-frame. A-frames, you know, my, my uncle's was an A-frame. My great uncle's yeah. was an A-frame. And it was uh, basically right on Lake Michigan. It was pretty cool. Mm-hmm. Super old school, but And cool. the, the camp that his parents have, we still go to every summer. And we've been going there every summer since I was 18. He's been going there every summer of his life. Or since they got the house when you were like, how old? Yeah, I think I was like eight. And yeah, I've been going there every year. So it becomes like that core experience. But Courtney, do they call it a camp or do you call it a camp? They call it the cottage. They call it the cottage. Okay, that's what I thought. I think like camp (laughs) camp is definitely like a Maine thing. Like when you're, when you're in Maine, like everyone's like, oh, you're going up to the camp. You're going to the camp. Yeah. The camp, you know, and you're like, yeah, the cabin. Like, no, the camp, you know, yeah, the art is a camp to like, I think a camp really was seasonal. You know, I think a camp, a lot of times were seasonal or maybe they weren't winterized and they were just something that you use here and there. Um, and then, you know, they were probably smaller or rustic. 
obviously cabin culture is becoming very luxe. Yes. You know? Yes. So. I made a whole film about our family camp because the camp that we now own isn't actually our family camp because it got passed down to my uncle. But then there's so much history and it, it was totally seasonal, totally rustic. But I actually feel like the rustic element forces you all together in yes. a way yeah. that like these more extravagant cabins we have now give you all space to like get away from each other. Camp doesn't do that. No. I almost like still have like a longing for, for a camp. Like because like our, you know, our places aren't necessarily camps per se, but there's something that I love about like that camp life that's so rustic. And like you said, like you go there, there's probably, you know, maybe a little bit of power if you're lucky, you know, a wood stove, maybe not a TV, one you know, one bathroom. I mean, there, obviously yep. there's luxuries you forego, but there's a different just cozy warmth and feeling that you can get from that as well. Yeah. So. And it does create like really strong family memories. Some that are like challenging, but some that are yeah. hilarious. And like, that's how I think about camp. Like we have two bedrooms at our, at my sister and my's camp. I mean, it barely qualifies as a camp because it is four seasons to your point, but I do like not having to wait in line before bed to brush my teeth. Cause that was like, whenever we'd yeah. wrap up for the evening growing up, it was like, you'd race into the bathroom to be the first one to use it. Or you were behind four people in line. Right. Yeah. We didn't have internet until I think last year yeah. at not at my parents' camp where I grew up. So at it was like, cottage. you know, yeah. even when, when I was a working professional going there, I'd be like, Oh wow, I'm really signing off here. And I would yeah. have to warn everyone like voicemail, you know, email auto response, like the whole nine you yards. You didn't have because, self-service or internet. Yeah. You yeah. had nothing. And so it was like, you know, it got to a point though, where in your lives, your careers, your busyness, we were like leaving the cabin too often to go check on like all these things. So I was like, all right, guys, you got to do it. I'll, I'll even pay for it. Like we got to do it so that I can, I can't actually relax anymore without it. It's so unfortunate. I know, but we would go it there for is. two time. If I was to go up to a little camp for two days, I would love to just sign out. Right. Yeah. But for two yeah. weeks. And if you can work remotely, then like, wouldn't you rather be at camp working remotely than only being able to go for those two days? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. There is a turning point. Cause I remember when we became teenagers, it was like, okay, like now we're away from friends, totally out of touch for like two or three weeks. And I remember my dad, this was like at the very beginning of cell phones would drive to the top of the hill nearby. Cause that was yeah. the only place in town he could get cell service. So we'd check his voice messages, then yeah. do whatever he needed to do and then call people back. And it was like, okay, to your point, internet would have been helpful. Yeah. Exactly. Can you hear? Can you hear the uh, cicada? cicada or cricket? Yeah, right I think here. it's giving like a nice atmospheric feel like we're hanging out outside. It's real Patrick, mainly. did yeah. you just kill him? I, no, uh, he shook the umbrella and I told him to take stopped. a nap. I told him to take a nap. <laughs> hey, out. dude, we're recording a podcast down here. Like, chill out. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he knows now. The baby's being good. Keep it together, sir. Yeah. But that's one of the things I like about cabin culture when I think about it is that like a lot of us and a lot of the people I talk to had cabins and their families, but I don't actually think it's about the cabin. You were talking about the pop-up and I can imagine there were a lot of things just in campgrounds that are still part of cabin culture, despite it being a pop-up camper or a tent even like, what are some of those core pieces for you guys? S'mores. Yeah. Campfires, s'mores, games. Still our favorite to this day. You know, maybe some fishing, catching crayfish. Uh, yep. let's see. Except in Pennsylvania, we called them crawfish, but that's fine. Crawfish. Yep. <laughs> yep. There you go. Um, I mean, I used to do 
crayfish boils when I was a kid. I don't know if people would be into that as much now, but. <laughs> oh no, our, my friends here in North Carolina, cause one of them is from New Orleans, do a crawfish boil every year. Um, yeah. and have been doing it for like six years and the entire long table is just full of crawfish that, you know, like little mini yeah. lobsters. Yeah. Yeah. I looked forward to that every summer. We would spend my friends and I at the I met at the campground. We, you know, we were friends for years would go and they had this big river there. And so we would go and catch, you know, we'd wait till we caught a couple hundred of them and then we'd do a boil. Yeah. So. Yeah. Oh, this is my favorite part of cabin culture. But I also know that listeners will be very upset if we don't start to talk about your cabins very soon because you have three of them. And I told you this when we first met that they're like, well, the two that I knew about are two of my favorite cabins. So why don't you give us, I'd love to do it in order if that's okay with the first cabin that you got and just tell us a little bit about like what prompted that one. And I think this will be fun because the first one, actually, most folks won't know you from um, because it's not on Instagram. So why don't you start there? Yeah. So five years ago, when our first son was born, we were living in a tiny condo in Boston and we were starting to go a little stir crazy in the winters and we weren't quite quite ready for burb life yet. So um, burb life. life. It took me a second. I was like, what? What is that? Got it. (laughs) So we ended up renting uh, a home for Christmas one year, five years ago, in Bethel, Maine, a ski town where I grew up skiing. And we went there with my family and Patrick and some close family friends. And we had the most magical Christmas of our lives in this beautiful house on a lake in Maine. There was a blizzard. It snowed two feet. We got snowed in. We had to like sled our way out of there. It was insane. So much snow. And it was two feet. Yeah. yeah, You're right. More than two feet. And they had the wood burning stove. You went up to the woodshed. You shoveled your way to the yes. woodshed. Got the wood, brought it back in. Yeah, we slid it was, down the driveway. We brought a yeah. guitar. We sang. We did campfires. It was like amazing. We were like, we this is the way life should be. And we were like, <laughs> how do we get more of this? And so two months later, we started looking. Yeah, we reached out to a realtor and we drove up. And in one day, we looked at 10 cabins. Not 10. Yeah, we did. 10? Eight? I don't know. A lot I think we got to be efficient. It. I think we slimmed it down. We yeah, we started out with ten, but maybe we actually saw like yeah, maybe five or six in person. Sure, it was a lot. It was a lot. Yeah. So yeah, go ahead. Did you know? Was this uh, like at this stage? Did you know you were going to rent it? Because now you're like the king and queen of Airbnb, but it didn't start that way, did it? It started as just a place for you. Oh yeah. First of all, that's flattering. I wouldn't say that we're the king of Airbnb, but uh, I'll take it in my world. Um, when we first got, what you doing, buddy? When we uh, first decided to get a cabin, we we had we didn't even know about Airbnb. I don't think we'd ever Airbnb'd anything in our entire lives. This was only five years ago, too, which is crazy. Had you ever traveled using Airbnb? Yeah. Did we before that? I feel like we've done it since before. Well, okay, so hotels. so before it was like shunned, we we went on a trip. Um, did we go to France? Where did we go? We rented out our condo one time on airbnb so we we were like all excited to go on this european trip and we didn't you know we wanted to make some extra money we were like what could we do so we were like oh why don't we list our condo this is before we knew like like how strict boston was it wasn't quite so bad then years ago yeah it it was before like as much regulation was in place in the city so we rented that out to someone who was working at harvard he stayed there on the weekends they would stay there and they stayed for six weeks and it paid for our whole trip. And oh so, God, you know, we had amazing. to make photos, we had to put the whole thing on Airbnb and we only ever rented the condo once ever, but it paid for that whole trip. Yeah, but I don't, it was yeah, worth it. True, but I don't, 
that even came into our minds when we were looking at cabins in Maine. But that was our first like kind of. Well, yeah, you're right. Because when I look on Airbnb and when they asked us if we wanted to buy stock, it shows that we've been Airbnb hosts for 10 years, which is wild because we because of that Airbnb. one time. The yeah. One time we rented our house. Out. Yeah. Because yeah. we only but, started actually Airbnb three to four years ago. Right. I bet that worked to your advantage when you started, when you listed your first place, because it showed hosts for five years at that point, which builds some credibility. Exactly. Yeah, yeah probably. But when we were looking for Maine, we were really just looking for a family getaway. And yeah. the thought never crossed my mind. To no, not at all. We weren't even considering it. We just wanted a place to get away and ski uh-huh. and have campfires and enjoy that life, you know, and for you know, almost two years, that's all we did. Like we just looked forward to going up and having those memories and those moments in, yeah. in that time, looking at the stars or whatever. You know, we were yeah. being, you know, going on hikes and and it was awesome. It was super awesome. We but, went almost every weekend yeah. for at least the first year. We would go back and forth every weekend, and we're freelance. So when we didn't have a shoot, we work in the film industry, and when we didn't have shoots, we would just stay. Or like a shoot would get pushed, and we'd be up there, and we'd be like, "Oh my god, let's just stay," because we had nothing kind of holding us down our son wasn't in school yet he was True. one years old and so we spent a lot of time in maine yeah we had nothing holding us back from just going up for a week or yeah, three days or right. four days so. so we spent a lot of time and then it wasn't until about two years in when i started traveling for work a lot more and you started traveling for work and we weren't able to go up as much and then i had a friend in la who was airbnbing her home and she was like you guys we should do. just yeah, list should it. it. Yeah, you should try it while you're out of town. And we were like, "What? Like someone else sleep in our bed? Like in our in our cabin? Like this is our sacred place, right?" And um, so eventually, we were like, "All right, we'll try it." And um, we listed it, and we had six guests come. I think our house sleeps twelve. And we drove up like the night they checked out to be like, we were freaking out. What we was were our like, house like, oh, it's probably destroyed. Yeah. We're like, we're never going to do this again. We were we terrified. Up to me and then we go in the house and I remember walking in, I was like looking for a disaster and it was like, <laughs> perfect. I was like, Courtney, did someone come clean or something? And she's like, no, we don't have a cleaner. And I was like, oh, <laughs> it was and awesome. then I'm looking around. And I was like, I don't even know if anyone stayed here. Like those first guests were so good. They the like remade the beds. It was wild. And I was like, this Thank is God. so bizarre. I know. I know we were lucky because well, we that could have been the end of it right there. That set the, the tone for you. Yeah. Really did. I was like, wait, we just we're getting paid. Yeah. This? So the one weekend covered our mortgage for the month, and we were like, wow, that's really nice. Um, but we only rented. I look back, only rented it three times that first year because we were still like, you know, this is not a business. This is our family getaway, and we wanted to use it, and we didn't know when we were going to go, so it was hard to like right. block weekends. Our right. schedule was so the place um so that year we yeah three times um and then i guess year three in maine we were driving home one day and we saw a little camp actually a camp on the side of the road true camp that was had no foundation no running water except for a pull from the lake it wasn't winterized and it was on um a pond and that was had the best view had a dock a huge front yard and we pulled over and called the realtor and put an offer in that day. And you and know, this, then my friends, was- if you this is how you probably know these two because this one is on Instagram. Yeah, and yeah. is the main lake house. That's yes, right. exactly. But it's this spelled guy. it's H A U S, right? 
Yeah. So yeah, Jane Lake House, H-A-U-S, for those of you who I know are all going to go look it up now. And if you're watching the YouTube version, I'll drop some photos in here so that you can see what it looks like. But this is where it really first started for you all. Yeah. So again, we weren't like fully planning to rent anything. Yeah. This was just like, oh my God, we want a little lake house. It's always been my dream to have a lake house. And this was affordable. It, should I talk about numbers? On I this mean, for, compared to like what things are like now and at the time, I mean, I think I think because we were renting the first one now, we were like, well, we could afford a little bit. We could afford to do another cabin, whether we rent it or not. And this, but this was a way more of an experience. I mean, we saw what it was and we knew right away that we were going to have to do like a major renovation. Um, It's helpful, I think, for people to talk about numbers sometimes. And I don't mind if that is helpful. We bought the cabin you know, kind of on the side of the road, but on a lake with the most beautiful view for $200,000. And we actually, for some reason back then, I don't know what it was, but they had just done a price drop and we saw that. I was like, like, should we we get it cheaper? It was right on the lake, but like, I don't know. I don't know. At that time, honestly, it's crazy. It just wasn't as much demand. And we were, just wasn't so, such a thing. we were so lucky yeah. that we just saw it and we knew instantly we're like, let's just put an offer in. Let's not even think about it Yeah, and just get this thing, you know, and then we'll figure out what we're going to do with it after. You guys really are. <laughs> we, we, with us. This is why I love you. <laughs> yeah, we're wild. Yeah, we were just like, all right, we'll take it. Yeah, we don't, we didn't like really know any, because we only were like weekenders. We weren't fully involved in the community like we are now. And so we didn't know builders. We didn't know contractors. We didn't know anybody. We literally saw a sign on the side of the road a couple miles up for like a builder and called the number being like, we bought a house down the street. Like, could you come be with us? Are they the ones who ended up doing the reno? Yes. Yeah. I mean, you definitely talked to some other people, right? I don't think so. Oh, I remember. I, I remember person. her calling her dream architect, and oh, he yeah, yeah. came over. I could not afford he him. was doing a house in Bethel. We and she was like, "This is my dream architect." I, I found him. him in some magazine, and so he came <laughs> over. He came over and he looked at it, and he comes over and he grabs a, a napkin and he starts sketching at the table with us. And he was like, he said, he puts it here, and he's like, "All right, you know, I would, you know, probably recommend something like this." And then he's like, "But you can't afford me." So uh, <laughs> he said that to you. He's what? like, but you can't afford me. And he's like, you probably don't want to hire me for this project. And he left. <laughs> and I was like, fuck you, I can afford you. And then we like got the um like the estimate from his team like a week later. And I was like, oh no. Yeah, never I mind. Can't afford never him. mind. Never mind. You're <laughs> How right. Did he know though. It's not like I he know. had access to your bank accounts. Excuse me, no. sir. Well, I think it was because we were probably saying we told everyone, every single person we talked to, we said our budget was a hundred thousand dollars. Okay. Okay. And so I we were just we, so we off didn't base. know what we were doing. And so we were like, that's, we picked the number and that's what we were going to make this magical house with. It sounds like a lot of money. So it feels yeah. like for that much, you should be able to do it, but we'll do it. And, and so until we found someone who said that they could do it for that yeah. cost, we hired the first person that said they could do it for a hundred K. We're like, you're fired. Yeah. And then guess how much we spent. I was just yeah. going to say, did they do it for a hundred K? Let me guess. No. Two fifty. Yep. Boom. Because <laughs> <laughs> when I'm budgeting, I'm like, now multiply that by two and a half. And now you're talking real numbers. And that was our first foray into anything remote construction, building, real estate, architecture, anything. We lived in a little condo in the city and we had this one house that we just was plug and play. We bought it with all the furniture. And then, so this was our first time doing anything. And so we had no sense of numbers, of timeline, of building in Maine in the middle of winter. It was like 27 
you know, it was like minus seven one day when we were like first started the project and everyone is had like hand warmers on in these crazy snowsuits on the job sites and we had to pull all the siding off. We had to lift the house up. We had to pour a foundation. So how much of that work were you guys doing? Well, you know what? We actually did a lot because right after we started uh, gutting the house, COVID happened. And we made it all the way through to the house had been framed. The yeah. siding, we got the, siding the roof on, we got the siding on. We were just getting ready to do the interior. We had insulated. We were three months in. Yeah, but so we had all the finished carpentry to do, which was a ton. And basically the our builder inside. at that point kind of didn't want to work anymore because of COVID. And we and were also unemployed because of We were of unemployed COVID. and we were on a crunch. We were like, we need to get this thing done. And, uh, you know, we, we want to f- kind of like, finish this so we can use it or we can figure right. out what we're doing here or but, rent it so we were living we yeah moved. or rent it since oh, we yeah. had no jobs and yeah we then were, we were like yeah. we have to rent this because we're fully unemployed the film industry shut down for like yeah. five months and we yeah, ended up crazy. moving to our house in maine because everything in the city was shut down the parks had yeah. locks on them and we had then a three-year-old who was like going crazy in our little condo. We were like, we got to get out of here. So uh, we moved Maine, to Maine. At least and- in those early stages was hit way. Le- like I remember seeing all those color grids yeah. and like Northern Maine was still like green. Like the town that our camp was in, I think had yeah. one case of COVID at that point. Right. And it was I was like, okay. Chill. Was like people were, yeah. People were kind of just like wondering what was going to happen. I mean, yeah. Being from Massachusetts, we were kind of like, people didn't love us, but yeah, we like also were like, we were trying to explain to everyone, we're like, no, we're not going back and forth. We're we here. here. We are living here. No. But those Massachusetts plates, man, they get you. Yeah. Sean is very <laughs> adamant when we're in Maine, the orange car that we leave at the cabin has Maine plates because it's registered. Oh, it stays smart. there. So I'll always go to get in my blue car and I'll be like, uh-uh, we're taking the Maine car. If we're in Maine, he would prefer to be driving the Maine car. Yeah. More respect for people sure. take it seriously. <laughs> yeah. That's right. So anyway. We we worked on it extensively. Patrick, you know, put in all the flooring. Uh, I mean, you did a million things. I painted all the well, walls. You didn't with tell friends. you didn't you didn't tell them what we ended up doing when we lost our builder. Oh, that's true. So this is the builder who promised it could be done for a hundred k. Yeah. So he walked would, away. He he basically walked through. away. Um, he basically walked away. I slightly may have slightly suggested that he walk away. <laughs> But it wasn't going so well. It was, it was like he was falling apart. His life was falling apart. And oh. he's like progress was slowing down. And I was like freaking out. And, and he I, wouldn't let us come. I was like, look, visits. I was like, look, it really? might be better for everyone. Yeah. yeah he wouldn't let us show up like and look at anything. And so we were like, we were like, look, maybe it's better for you and for us if we just, you know, part ways. Obviously, you're getting paid for everything you've done. You know, we're all squared up, blah, blah, blah. So we ended up coming to a mutual agreement on it. And Courtney's best friend that recommended we did Air- do Airbnb in the first place, her dad is a carpenter in New Mexico Stop. and he's from Massachusetts, but he, he's been living in New Mexico. So we reached out to him like, would you drive out here and live with us for the rest of COVID or for, well, forever long and do this house? And he was like, hell yeah. It's getting slow. I'll be in my truck. I'll bring all my stuff and I'll come out. And he's like, you can work with me. So he was basically like, all right, I'm taking on the project. He like, basically trained me in everything I know and like, let me work with him. And then he would bring in, like we brought in one other guy to do some work with us from Massachusetts. And he lived there with us too, for a few weeks, like drywall. And, um, where were you living? You were living in the other cabin, the first one that you bought. How far are they from each other? Five minutes. Oh my gosh. So it'd be like 
pack a lunch every morning, Patrick would be like, I'm off to work because there was like no yeah, place to get like lunch. 10 hours, 12 hours, construction COVID. days. But you're like on the lake. This is perfect. Yeah. And I mean, like was- so much for no site visits. Now you could be there every day, super hands on. Yeah. Yeah. It was pretty, it was pretty awesome. And, you know, it was like, we were really able to make sure that everything was being done the way we wanted to do it. You know, it wasn't like we show up every three weeks and be like, oh yeah, man, right. like this or that. And, you know, it was cool because I was in charge. I had to set up my own building account. I had to buy all the materials. You know, I had so much control and I really felt a part of the process. And, you know, you don't always get that. You no. know, sometimes you get all of that. Sometimes you get none of that. But I, I really loved it. And, you know, it, it was really cool to have to get all the way to the finish line that way. Yeah. Not many people would describe that as cool, but I feel like there's an element of that was like four years ago now. So like your brain forgets the really hard stuff and you're like, well, you know, you're unemployed basically. And you have this project that you want to get done. And all of a sudden you're like, instead of sitting there just being like, oh, I wish we could get this done. You're getting it done, you know? Which is often the biggest frustration, right? Is just like that you feel like you have no power in this really expensive, really important process. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm not a carpenter. And even today, like I'll pick and choose my battles. But with you, when you have someone there who's like, you know, he's a professional and he's like, okay, look, um, this is, this is what you're going to do. Like, I'm like, I'll do all the shiplap. He's like, great. Just make sure you do A, B and C. I'm like, cool. All right. Yeah. Shiplap. I'm doing shiplap now. We're yeah. doing the shiplap. Like flooring. You can handle the flooring. All right, good. I'll do all the flooring. But yeah. we were also like really on a budget. So we had to come up with a lot of creative solutions because we were unemployed and we were like, we have to finish this house and we're doing this whole renovation cash. So we're using our savings and we don't have any new money coming in because we're living in this other house that we had rented a couple of times. So we basically had three mortgages that we were trying to manage and then a build with cash. So we had to get really creative and find like really discounted tile and like, you know, just things that were on sale and you know, we bought beds originally from Home Depot. You know, like we just kind Home of Depot makes beds. Actually, they're real cute. Yeah, they are. <laughs> yes. Look at the pictures, pictures of the house. They're actually still in there. Okay, you which never- bedroom? I'm gonna drop them in the YouTube. All of them. All, All of them. them. Yes, they were like three hundred dollars, two fifty each, real wood, and they were bitch to put together. But they're so beautiful and um. So not all compromises have to be bad. You still have them in there, but that financially is a great compromise to make. Okay. But I do have a question because this is just shocking to me how many constraints you had on this house. Cause this was the house that I first found you through because obviously I love Maine. Obviously Maine lakes are like the best in the world, in my opinion. And I was like, this is the most beautiful lake house on a Maine lake I've ever seen. How I just, I'm a little bit shocked that the final product that I have seen so much of it was done by you in these situations. So Courtney, can you talk to me a little bit about the design piece? Like while Patrick was building and on site, were you working on the design? Like I just, and you weren't, you're, you're a director in the film industry. You're not an interior designer. I mean, you are an interior designer, but like that was not your full-time job. How, how did you take over that part of it and knock it out of the park in the way that you did? Well, that's very kind of you. First of all, thank you. I'm putting pictures um, in here. It's true. I'm not just like flattering you. <laughs> I mean, I, you know, through working with film, I kind of design sets with my production designers. And so I guess I had 
some semblance of, of an eye for that stuff. But yeah, I had no background in, you know, how to put things together, especially like the architectural side of it. When we were figuring out the fireplace, like I'm like drawing lines on my uh, iPhone screen to try to figure out how to design a fireplace. Like I did not have the tools that one should yeah. have. But you um, have the vision. She might have, yeah. not have the tools, but she's always very clear in the vision. Which is probably yeah. helpful, Patrick, on your side to be like when you're trying to make certain decisions and you go to her, she probably had like an easy yes or no or like this direction or this direction. The key is to ask first. And that's what even our even our builders didn't learn that. They learned the hard way. It's like always ask the designer first. Yeah. Sean is yeah. learning this. He is learning. Yeah. We're doing built-ins like literally as we're talking. He's at home doing the built-ins. And he actually drew it out for me the first time ever and has been like, do you want a I don't even know the names of them. A toe panel or do you want it to be flat? Like he's finally asking so that he doesn't have to redo stuff. Yeah. yeah that's also like a lesson in how to stay married well of yeah. building a house or doing any renovations. Yeah. So so what would your biggest piece of advice be for someone who let's say this is a compromise area for them and they're like, I can't afford to hire a designer. I'm going to do it myself. Let's hope I they have think- the eye. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, but like get inspiration from magazines, from shows, from Pinterest. Yeah, like, there's so many places. It's it's there's so many places to to get ideas from. And there's so many great shows out there, all those HGTV shows <laughs> um, that you and I were talking about earlier that people can watch and just get ideas from. And I also think it's just like, know what you like and just follow the things that you like. And if you find examples of things you like, just run with that, you know? Yeah. Now for someone who doesn't watch the YouTube version, can you paint a picture for them of the main lake house? And what they would see if they were there, what it would feel like, um, what it looks like. Yeah. It's, he just started laughing. smiling at me. So I just got distracted. Hey, buddy. He loves you. Um, it is like a quintessential woodsy yet kind of modern Scandinavian house on a lake with a big yard, a, a long dock and a really beautiful picturesque view of a lake with loons and little tiny islands far in the distance and mountains in the background. And inside the house, we kept the original ceilings. That's like the one thing that we wanted to keep because the wood was so lovely. And then we brought in beams from an old barn that we found on like Facebook marketplace and our builder drove to the barn barn and got these hundred year old beams. And those are all the pillars in the house. So we tried to incorporate a lot of the old stuff and mix in the new so it it didn't feel too modern and new. I'm not into that look. It's more like relaxed but cozy. And we have a gas fireplace in there and a lot of neutrals and creams and wood everywhere. But not like orange yellow wood, which I'm not a fan of. It's it's kind of... We actually did a lot of work to kind of match the original aged wood like because all the ceiling joists we kept there, right? So when we were adding in fixing this, fixing that, changing this, changing that. We were like, oh, geez, like how do we kind of get this to match? So we were playing with stains and trying to kind of make it all blend together and yeah. not feel too forced. So, And a I lot mean, of like built-in nooks. We have a built-in reading nook. We have built-in benches for our dining table. Yeah, um, It's really just kind of simple and understated, but really cozy. And it, we try to bring a lot of outside elements in so that you, when you were in the house, you also felt like you were outside yeah. and the view kind of, you know, it's all encompassing. So yeah. it wasn't disjointed. Yeah. I think those were the things that stood out to me where the, and I didn't even like realize this until you said it, but the beams on the ceiling, anytime someone can keep original parts of it. And then also, I mean, you've obviously dressed it up a lot in your sense of like design 
taste obviously makes it look like a very elevated version without losing the character. And I think that's really tricky. And I think we're finding that in the the world of cabin culture now as so much of it is visually on Instagram is like this race to like make it the nicest, the fanciest. Sometimes it doesn't quite hit right because you're missing what made us all fall in love with cabins in the first place. Right. Yeah. And I think one thing that we didn't do that I think we should do is put a picture of the original cabin oh, or yes. a caricature or something, a drawing. Yeah. What's it. funny is I have a gu- I had a guest actually message me yesterday and she said, I don't want this to sound creepy, but I went on Zillow. I was just curious what real estate in the area was like and what this house went for. And she's like, and I saw the befores and I am just shook. And she's like, I can't believe what it looks like now compared to what you guys bought and she's like i'm so impressed and i was like oh thank you and i was like i really should have a photo in the yeah. house so people see that like no, our totally blood should. sweat and tears went into this place well, also because one of the things with that house was we were dealing with shoreland zoning you know and so we had restrictions so that house the reason why it's sitting where it's sitting and the size and all that is not just for no reason like we kept the original structure and we took the 30% expansion that we were allowed to do, right? So we took the core of that house and then designed it based off of that. Yeah. You know, I mean, we could move stuff wherever we wanted, but we had to kind of we had to keep the work with that also. footprint. Yeah. So now if I went all, all back again, I don't know if we did it the easiest way, but we had to lift that house up. My excavator came in and put steel beams under the house and slowly shimmed it up until it was 15 feet in the air. And we had I a mean, we have photos of all this. Remember? And right after we lifted it 15 feet in the air, before we got all the the foundation in, there was a windstorm. So he yeah. showed up and he tied his excavator to the house. Like he literally to like help hold it in place. Yeah. To the excavator we into the trees, so that he was. He said he couldn't sleep that night. <laughs> he was like at least expecting to come back, and all the windows were broken, but everything was fine. Oh my god, yeah. you got very lucky of all yeah. days. I know, I know, but we did. We didn't learn. even know about it. He told us he was like, "Yeah, I yeah. couldn't sleep. I didn't want to tell you guys." But <laughs> but in retros- retrospect, if we had done it again, I mean, I love that the ceilings are still in and the framing is original, and it's an ode to the old owners who were there for sixty years. <laughs> but but would have been financially easier. and sanity wise, it would have been easier to take the whole thing down and start over again. Yeah, yeah, that's a um, tough decision. Well, another really cool thing I never thought of. And I mean, it doesn't matter now, but you could have actually lifted that thing up and put it on a truck and someone could have actually, you could have kept it, you could have moved it, you know, someone could, but I mean, either way, there's no right or wrong way to do it. We chose our way of doing it and it has a story and it has an emotion to it. When I go into the crawl space, I can see all the original joists down there that we strapped with new ones. And, you know, I can see the ceilings and there's certain things that are like, oh, this is cool. Like. There's some really cool nostalgia to it. Yeah. I actually think, and I'm biased because my first big project was a renovation of like a 110-year-old house. And But I think that's a good way to start because it's, I, I think, the hardest to do a reno because there's so many constraints of what you're stuck with, what you find along the way. But there's also this joy that comes with giving something a new life. And sometimes working with those constraints like makes choice, like decision-making easier, which I think on your first build is helpful. But then yeah. this led you, it also, I think, makes you realize the joy of a new build where you get to make all the decisions yourself. So this project then led you to your next project, which might also be how people know you, which is the main A-frame. Can you talk about like how you got from one to the other? How long was it? Was it like immediately after you finished? No, it was about 
a year later. We found the land a year later, right? Yeah. Yeah. Patrick's dream was always, even before the lake house was in A-frame, he just... I wondered when you said your fir- the first cabin you mentioned was an A-frame. And from what I've heard from A-frame lovers, there's like an emotional attachment that happens. For sure. Yeah. You definitely get hooked like when you fall in love with A-frames, I think. I mean, there, obviously, there's some other things we can talk about about A-frames that are not as fun. But in general, like I, I knew like it was great to know what I wanted because it just made it so much easier for me when I was looking for land. I was just like, well, I'm just envisioning what I'm envisioning right on this land. I don't have to you know, kind of just start with nothing. Like I, you have a core, right? You have an A-frame. So, so you knew, did you know when you were working on the lake house that there would be another, I just wonder when this, cause it it is like kind of addicting. It's addicting, but I think that, you know, you might know this, but it's not all fun and games, right? It gets stressful, (laughs) like, especially when you're over budget and you're running into different barriers and you're unemployed. I would say like when we were getting to the end of doing the lake house, like, we were probably kind of losing our minds a little bit. And, but when it was all done, of course, then you can stand back and you can be like, Oh, it was all worth it. Yep. But I don't think at that point when I'm in the thick of it at the end there, I was not thinking of another one. No, We were like, we were never renovating something ever again. Famous last words. Uh, yeah. Yeah. We had no concept of ever wanting to do that again. And honestly, I don't know what changed our mind, but I think a year went by and we were probably like, okay, like what's having next? a kid. I know. <laughs> <laughs> <You> forget. <laughs> <You> forget. <laughs> but I do, I do think it's that selective memory, which actually I think is a really beautiful part of humans is that we tend to remember the good stuff, which leads us to do crazy things over and over again. I also think yeah. there's something to people like you, which Sean and I can deeply relate to. And that's just like, I think you like a big project. So yeah. when yes. one's done, there's like, Sean has started calling it the off season, as you know, because he talked about it a lot on Monday, <laughs> but he has started being like, okay, I'm okay with like all of these big projects. I just need an off season once in a while to like rest and then get back. Really nice help, that little reset. But we don't know what that looks like. I feel like we've yeah. been going, going, going for like six years and we, we would love an off season, but I also mm. think more than an off season, we just love to be busy and I love to design things now and he loves to yeah. build things. And like, I we think, have this um, new passion for this, yeah. something that we never even thought about. We're filmmakers, you know, right? Or we, we make commercials. Yeah. So like, it's something so far outside of our purview, but now we're like addicted. Oh yeah. I think my <laughs> off season now would be looking for land or coming up with designs. That is the off season, you know? Right. I mean, because ultimately just, it depends on what your goals are, right? You know, if you want to keep doing houses or, but like, if you don't, if you're not already thinking with the next project, at least a little bit, when you're wrapping up the first one, there's going to be a huge gap, like a couple years, maybe yeah. in between projects. And that could be fine. But if you don't want to have that gap, you need to start before you finish the, the last project. Well, and there's so. the element of like reflection and learning too, that when you're in the midst of a project, you're learning so much. And if you're not documenting that and like writing it down somewhere for like institutional yeah. knowledge or whatever, then like you can lose that if you take too much of an off season versus if you're fresh off of one project into another and whatever that might look like, what type of project it is. I think you can apply some of those things and just keep getting better, which is the part that's a little bit addicting for me. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. 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 Okay. So tell us about the main A-frame. I don't quite know how to explain this one. I think it might be, I think the first picture that hooked me on this one was like framing. You'd already framed it. And I think Courtney, you might've been standing in front of it. But I was like, holy shit, this is the biggest A-frame I've ever seen. Is that true? Is it like the biggest A-frame? Okay, tell, describe the main A-frame for people. 
Patrick, this uh, needs to be your baby. Yeah, sure. <laughs> I mean, so I think I knew right from the beginning uh, when we were going to do an A-frame. Well, okay, not right from the beginning. So in the very beginning, I looked at all the options, right? All right, here's a classic A-frame. Here's the companies that are offering uh, like, you know, prefab or plans. So mm-hmm. I kind of went through all that. I probably bought some plans. And, you know, after a little while, I, I just like something wasn't quite right. I was like, this isn't exactly what I want. I don't think I want a classic A-frame, even though, you know, there's only so many things you can do to a classic A-frame. You can switch quite a bit of things around, mm-hmm. but there's some limitations. So I, after like six months of finding these plans and looking at these things, I was like, we're going to have to design this. Like we're going to have to do this from scratch. And we luckily had a designer slash architect that we worked with on the lake house. So when she decided, you know, and kind of agreed that we could do that. <laughs> he, he did like the initial sketch out plans to get a town approval. Well, we don't, we don't he use cat. Right. And that's yeah, the hard part. No, like, I mean, well, what, I don't know what to call him, right? Because he calls himself a designer, but he's kind of an architectural designer. He's an architectural designer, right? So I need someone who's going to give me plans that I can actually give to a builder. Right. 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 So no matter how detailed we make our sketches or our, or our ideas, I have to have professional plans made. Right. And, that, and that's who I work with. So I sit with him and we move stuff around. If a wall's off, anything's off, I sit there with them. I can go there as many times as I want. And we literally oh, make nice. all the tweaks. So. He lives about one minute from. Yeah, the he A-frame. lives one minute from the oh. A-frame. It's on. It's that's actually just a coincidence. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, it's like at the bottom of the hill. In his, that's it's very just, nice. That's right. just. Yeah. Do you think he knew at the beginning when he met you? Do you think he knew what it would then end up being? Because he probably drives by it with pride now, being like, "I designed that." Because it's like beautiful. Do you think he knew? Yeah. No, I mean, he when he when he first went into the A-frame when we first invited him after it was done. He told me he was shocked. He goes, you guys made me look really good. Yeah. He was like, you guys made me look good. He was like, I, he, he's kind of like, it was a little bit of a pose because he, he knows like A-frames. A-frames are interesting beasts. Yeah. I even watched the video last night about this uh, couple who decided they're never going to build an A-frame because of how they're not, they look so easy they're and simple, efficient. but they're I know. not. They're not. It's not an efficient use of space, but it is so cool when you're in there. Yeah. And then we cared way more about the experience and the aesthetics than we do about efficiency. Yeah. Like he probably six for. times over the course of the design process, like tried to steer us into designing another house. He'd be like, guys, you could get this kitchen here. If you did this design instead of a frame, save this much money. Like, Dude, we you're not care. seeing our vision. <laughs> exactly. And, and so that's the cool thing is at the end of the day, we had a vision and we stuck to our guns and we just had, you know, he was able to help us get that and, you know, sketched out. And, you know, that's how we were able to come up with such a unique A-frame, you know, is by time after time, just like continuing to redesign it until we got exactly what we wanted. And that's what it is now. You know? What were so. your priorities, Patrick? When you like first started sitting down, what were the like, let's say there's three non-negotiables. These are not going anywhere. We are absolutely accomplishing this. Yeah, I wanted more space. You know, I wanted more space than a typical A-frame yeah. can give you which is why we have all the dormers. I wanted unbelievable light, which is why we have literally unbelievable light in that you place. Do. I mean, the, obviously the placement of it, but also the way the sun comes around and where the sun sets is better than I even planned, which is I mean, amazing. we went to the job site many times throughout the day to yeah. look at the light to really figure out where we wanted to place the house. So that it was Light is so important for us in both our work and just in general. And so... Um, we're so happy with how that turned out. I think that's yeah, an overlooked to... step. 
I think people are so yeah. excited to build that they like get the land, they start clearing it and they just, I think, but spending, and I didn't, I mean, I didn't spend enough time doing this. Thank God Pete cares about it. So he was like, uh, you need to get out of compass and tell me what direction is what, but really yeah. different times of day, just being there and seeing where it's going, what trees block it in what direction. And then orienting yeah. the cabin, I think is really important. I would take my dirt bike up to the land in the morning, afternoon and evening. And I did this at different times of year until we actually broke ground. And I would, I have a sun scout app that I use for film. So I use the same app for basically tracking the sun for work. I mean, for, for the build. And so I was able to really like be like exactly down to the exact like angle degree place the home. Um, And so that, those were two things, I guess. And then I think three was, like uncompromised, like uncompromised interior design. Like we, I wanted no stops. I wanted no stops and I wanted it to be, I mean, this is probably a lot on her too, but I wanted the same organic feel that she wanted. So there was just a certain materials and certain things I knew we were going to have to go with to achieve that vision. Yeah. So, which you did. So number one splurge on interior design, the number one thing where people wanted you to compromise, your budget wanted you to compromise and you were like hard no. Yeah, well, oh, geez. Number I think one. the plaster. Probably the plaster, the hand plaster. That was a 100% overage for the whole project. Like the hand plastered walls. Every wall in the Every house single wall in the entire house was done with American clay plaster. Wow. That was, and we, you know, looked at every version of the plaster that they make and every color. We came up, we took drywall. We had the guy that did it actually, you know, take a piece of drywall and put all the samples on each piece and then come in and we put it on every different wall in the house at different times of day until we picked oh the exact sh- shade and texture. Cause you could pick like four different textures. So until we got it exactly how we wanted it. And I mean, that was like the best thing we ever did. It was unbelievable. It's so beautiful. And we love that it's, there's no chemicals, you know, on the walls. Paint is plastic. So it, when you go in the house, it's like breathing fresh air, like you're outside. And, you know, we have young you kids. You definitely and, notice a difference. Yeah. The, the plants it. in there are thriving. Like, it's amazing. Because so it's I didn't just, even know this was an option. Like, I literally didn't even know. I mean, I've heard of plaster, but knowing that you could do that. And honestly, I don't hear enough people talking about paint and the chemicals because I never thought twice about painting our walls or putting drywall up. Right. Yeah, especially like in the first couple months, it takes actually like however long you can look it up. It's like 60 days to fully cure, 30 days. There's obviously going to be off gassing of chemicals, just like a lot of other materials will have as well. But, um, you know, you're probably not going to have people living in there before then. But that's something that people don't always think about when they're doing a remodel and living in the home. And they have kids. You know, it's like the amount of, you know, like different gases or chemicals they're exposing themselves to. And it took a long time, a lot longer to do the plaster. So that was something that we definitely had to go back and forth with our builder of like, are you guys willing to delay the project for a month yeah. to get this plaster? And we were like, yes. It was yeah. tough for the builders because they were still wrapping up a lot of stuff. And this guy is in there hand plastering everything by himself. You know, sometimes he would have an assistant, but it took weeks. It took a long time and it added a lot of time to the process. And so there was some frustration, you know, probably on everyone's end, but in the end, I mean, we looked at it and I couldn't imagine anything yeah. else. So, yeah. Courtney, do you have one? A splurge that was 100% worth it? I mean, alongside the plaster, obviously. Probably the concrete countertops. Oh, stop it. That If you were going to ask us what's one point of contention you guys had on the house, it would be the countertops. Okay, tell me more. Why are those contentious? I love uh, concrete countertops. Well, so there's a few factors, <laughs> but 
I always knew from the beginning I wanted to do concrete countertops and I wanted concrete floors. And the countertops, I think she was worried. She was very worried because I, I was love- I was going to do the countertops with a friend yeah, who's exactly. done them once. That should say so it all. We've only done them <laughs> once, so it's not like a pro you're bringing in that's done dozens of them. Yeah. Which will do a good job, but if you have a pro come do concrete countertops, it will cost you the same amount of money as granite, you know, or something similar. It's not necessarily cheaper, right. but if you do it yourself, it is, yeah. it's financially cheaper. Yeah. So she's thinking, well, here's this house where we did everything from scratch. Everything's everything perfect. Perfectly. And now we're going to take a chance. You're going to come in and just take a chance. And it's not like you can, it's like, you're going you to have to chisel take it out. out it's very car. hard to take it out. There is a way to take it out if you do it right, but we screwed them all in. So like, it would have been really hard to take it out. So like, his friend has done this once in his entire life. Patrick has done this zero times in his I entire helped. life. I spent about an hour helping once. Our one friend who did it. And so they were like, we're going to go into your beautiful new build and pour ca- concrete countertops. So of course I was alarmed. And for months I was like, no way. There, there's no way. This yeah. We went and started looking at slabs. We looked at everything you could imagine. We looked at fake um, concrete countertops, you know, at the end of the day, we were already over budget. So I'm like, every single thing we choose is just another huge right. overage, right? This is a one place where I can get us back on track and it will look sick if we don't mess it up. It does look so, sick. So I take it, it you yeah. didn't mess it up. We didn't mess it up. So they did great. We went to slab yards. We didn't find anything we liked. And eventually Patrick was like, Courtney, trust me, let me do this. And I was like, you know what? Okay. So him and his friend went up on a long weekend and they worked on those countertops until I think like we almost did a 24 grand. hour shift. Oh we did God. like, we went to bed. Did we even go to bed? Cause you kind of had to I do we it all. And took a nap food. from like 4am till eight and came back and checked them. Right. Because of the drying yeah. process. So we just made a hearth in our house. That's counter that's um, concrete. And Sean poured it. And it was like really particular about when you have to like smooth it and like all of that stuff. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And and it was a, a holiday weekend actually, and so a bunch of our friends were up staying at our other place, and so we, we everyone recruited went over people. There. We recruited people because there was a, at one point we needed someone who was like vibrating the counters while we were. I was mixing and bringing in the mix, and my friend who had you know had done his counters was pouring them in place, you know, and then I would come in and you know we were. We, you know, we'd screed them and then there's all the different, you know, things Someone that you got to do. Like shooing the bugs off because we're using these big hot lights and there's attracting bugs. There's bugs yeah. getting stuck in the concrete. It was crazy, but it it's was kind of funny. So like so real, yeah. If there's any like, imprints, did you put any notable signatures, handprints, anything in the concrete? Oh, we already have that in our floors. So we didn't want <laughs> okay. it in the counters. Okay. <laughs> Whose handprints are in the floors? No, we have so we have main in our we have floors. Main in our floors. We there have, was like a windstorm. Lots of pine needles in our floors. I love that though. That feels so it's appropriate. Kind of cool. Like at first, I was like, "Oh, what happened?" And now I'm like, "That's cool." Like it really feels like, like even more leaves. rustic, yes. you know. And like that came from a tree, however many years ago. When you know when people were in there, it feels like the and way life should be. Impressive. Exactly, yeah. it's the way life should be. Okay, I hate to do this, but I do have a hard stop at three o'clock. I have asked you two of the questions on my list. So I'm hoping that you might be willing to do a part two at some point. Cause I, I do want to go deeper on some of these yeah. things. We haven't even talked about hosting. There's so many things we haven't talked about. Yeah. True. Our True. lead up. Yeah. We were ramping in. I know so. this is great, but I, I do think this is like, this is the least far I've ever gotten in an hour on the questions. Oh, no, don't apologize. This was great. Oh, that's amazing. Yeah. I can't believe it. I just have so many other things I want to ask. Yeah, thank you. you. Thanks for having six-month-old Ryder. Oh, my God. Ryder was such a treat. I just smiled through the whole thing because you were talking, but I was really just looking at him and smiling. You want to say anything? You want to say goodbye? Thanks for having us. All right. We'll talk (laughs) soon. Was this his first podcast ever?
first first podcast. Let him forget that when he grows up. Forget. <laughs> We're saving that. Saving that. Is this your first one too? Probably. I mean, we've been interviewed like in a similar fashion, but I don't know if it was for a podcast. Well, you're naturals. One of my questions is about where you've been featured and published because, I mean, look at them. But uh, we'll get to that in part two. We have okay. we have Sounds some exciting good. things to tell you there. Oh, yeah. We got some stuff coming up. Okay. I can't wait. Stay tuned. Thanks so much for joining us. And if you liked what you heard, feel free to leave us a five-star rating on Spotify or share some of your favorite parts over in an Apple podcast review. If you have feedback or suggestions for the future, you can find us on Instagram at Cozy Rock Cabin and The Chalet Frame, spelled the C-H-A-L-A frame. Looking forward to next week.